Oh my days. Uh, welcome back to Tom's Take, the sports podcast now for episode two. Uh, wow, we're back. This podcast wasn't just a, a one and done series. Uh, you know, we don't go out like the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, we can make it through to the next round. <laughs> no, that's uh, no, that's unfair. Doing a podcast is way easier than winning uh, four playoff games. So don't mean to compare that. But um, no, great to be back. Uh, wh- whatever time it is for you, wherever you are right now, I hope you're having a great day. Thank you for coming back to episode two. Uh, a lot of learning sort of curves with starting the podcast, like I sort of talked about in episode one. Um, you know, I listened to it back a few times and was just thinking, oh, it's supposed to be a sports podcast. I'm not putting people to sleep. I think I got to, uh, be a bit more animated and, uh, a bit perkier and yeah, that's something to work on that I'm keeping in mind for this episode and episodes coming up and, I think, you know, I'll get better with the editing and transitions in particular. I'm thinking of trying out for this episode um, a little, like some some sound bites in between sort of points and just making sure that the, it transitions or wraps up a point nicely before we go into the next thing. That might be helpful, I think. And um, I don't know. You can, guys can tell me what you thought of the intro song, if, if it's lame, if it's good, if it's just, it's okay. Um, you know, it's all a learning process and I'll play around with those sort of things and work that out as we go. But um, I don't know, just good to start, good to put it out there and, you know, get feedback and go from there. Alrighty. So today I want to prove that I can talk more more than just about NBA and uh, NFL, and I want to talk a little bit about the Champions League, as that's in the semi-finals at the moment, and we just had the first leg matchups of that, so I want to have a few thoughts about those matches. Obviously, we're going to uh, recap the sort of NBA playoff results, and a few teams have gone through to the next round now, so those next round matchups are starting to come together. Um, the NFL draft was yesterday, so... That was super, super exciting to see and, yeah, want to run through the biggest sort of picks and a, a few weird ones as well. So that to go through and, you know, just with the timing of this podcast, like we've already had quite a bit of the off-season in the NFL. So I want to go through some of the main off-season moves that have stuck out to me so far. Um, and then I've got a couple of Q&A questions from people at the end to answer. So we'll wrap it up with that. So starting off with the Champions League, so we had we've got four teams remaining. Um, we've got Man City who just played Real Madrid in their first leg, and then the other two teams we have Liverpool who played uh, Villarreal, uh, surprising Spanish team that's been able to work their way to this uh, semi-final spot. So shout out to them, uh, proud of them. It's looking like it might be the last stop for them. Uh, We can start with them. So they played uh, on Thursday, Liverpool and Villarreal um, at Liverpool's home and lost 3-0. So we're completely outplayed. You know, was watching the highlights back of that game and I, I don't think Villarreal even had a shot on target. So, you know, the Liverpool keeper could have basically laid down on the floor and had to sleep that whole game. Um, no shots, no shots on target. Bit like it, it didn't even seem like they 
got the ball past halfway. So Liverpool really outplayed them in this game and I think really cruised to a victory. And, you know, even though we've seen miracles happen more and more um, in Champions League, you know, there was a time 15, 20 years ago where if you won the first leg, you know, 2-0, like even just 2-0, regardless of 3-0, you were like, oh, guaranteed win. Doesn't matter what happens in the second leg. There's no way the other team's coming back, you know. It was way more low scoring. But nowadays, you know, we we can remember back to, like, historic comebacks of, like, uh, you know, the, uh, the Barcelona one against PSG a few years back where they scored four goals in the last, uh, like, five, ten minutes of that game. Um, so, you know, ever since those type of games have been com- happening happening more often, Anything's possible, so I won't totally rule out Villarreal, um, but 3-0 is a massive deficit to come back from, and uh, yeah, it's going to take a lot. They haven't really been to this sort of uh, level of the Champions League, or this deep in the Champions League, in a long time, if not ever, so Liverpool's recent winning experience, and just um, you know doing well in the Premier League have a bigger squad depth, lots more rotations, more star players. You know, they can go into this second leg and and park the bus if they want. I wouldn't do that, you know. Shows like a negative mentality. You want to try and get, you know, some away goals. Even though they don't count for anymore, it's just a psychological sort of thing now. I think if you can stretch that lead up to 4 or 5 nil, really guarantee it from um, stopping the comeback, so... I think that one's wrapped up nicely, you know, Liverpool in the final, basically. And then if we go to the other side, we had Manchester City play Real Madrid at at City. Very entertaining game, thrilling game. Oh, great to watch. So Man City in the first half came out swinging, got a couple of early goals leading 2-0. Then Real Madrid's able to come back, match it up with their own. And then it's like just tiki-taka, like Man City score a goal, Real Madrid score a goal, and then in the end, Man City's able to get the fourth goal and the final score is 4-3. Um, but it's just, what a display of a attacking football. These are sort of the best players in the world in Kevin De Bruyne, Tony Cruz, um, Gabriel Jesus. Just incredible to watch. So very entertaining it's special that we get two legs of this, you know, that we get two opportunities of these great teams to play each other. Uh, and that's the beauty of the Champions League. So nice that there's only one goal between them. Um, shout out Benzema to from Real Madrid, their striker, that Frenchman. He has been insane over the last two years, basically up there with Lewandowski. And I feel like every time... He puts on the Real Madrid shirt. He's scoring a goal or two. So he's basically carrying them, keeping them in games or winning them games and scored a couple in this one. So I expect him to have an even bigger second leg when they come back to Real Madrid and see if they can't pull it off. I think, man, there's so much pressure on Manchester City to win this competition. You know, in the last... Five ten years since Pep Guardiola's come and been the manager, but even before then, you know, when they got bought out and taken over by all the the Saudi oil money, um, it feels like every year they 
uh, spending 200 million euros on uh, players every season, like recruiting and developing the best young players or best veteran players, bringing them in. Um, you know, it's done well for them in the Premier League. They have won quite a few titles. But outside of that, you know, they want to win trebles. They want to win every trophy that's available that year. They want to win, you know, the, like the Premier League, the FA Cup, um, you know, Community Shield, Carling Cups, Champions League, Super Cups, and they've fallen short in that area. You know, they've only been able to take off one, you know, put one thing in the trophy cabinet after each each season. So I think their owners and the board, you know, I'm sure they're biting their fingernails every time they watch uh, Manchester City in this competition because they know how serious it is to win um, and really will elevate them to being one of those, you know, teams like Real Madrid, like a Bayern Munich, like a Liverpool who have, you know, creating history. You know, lots of people dig on Manchester City and Chelsea because these clubs have been, you know, 50, 60 years ago, 100 years ago, struggled, had no history. Um, And then only since, you know, the 2000s onwards, they've really had success with big takeovers by, you know, mega rich owners um, and basically been able to destroy the league, destroy the world in the sort of financial fair play regulations and all that, Um, cheating by just buying the best talent, stealing it from other clubs. Um, But if you're going to do that, you need to win. (laughs) Um, So excited to see if they can finally pull it off. Um, You know, Liverpool and Chelsea last year were a big nemesis to them winning the comp. Um, so, you know, Manchester City coming second last year. Let's see if they can get over that hump. But um, Real Madrid on the other side, you know, they had, they're a club with lots of history, have won the Champions League 13, 14 times now. It's crazy. Even just a few years ago, they, they won it three years in a row. Um, that was insane. Um, but since Ronaldo has left, Cristiano Ronaldo, they've kind of been... Uh, that kind of left them a little bit shell-shocked and haven't been able to get back to the top, haven't been able to win it again. So I think they have a lot to prove and have a chip on their shoulder this year to say, hey, we don't we don't need him. We're, you know, we're different. We're a better team. We can still do this. Um, we're coming for, for the trophy, coming for it all. So a lot of good storylines. Uh, even Liverpool too, you know, they had, they won it two years ago against Tottenham, but my days, that was the most boring final ever, I think. <laughs> Just that stupid penalty, uh, you know, rightfully a penalty, but stupid handball by the Tottenham player in like the 10th to 15th minute. And um, it was just 1-0, ended 1-0. I remember I had lots of friends over to watch that game and half of them fell asleep during the second half. It was so boring. It was like, I can't believe I woke up to watch this game. And it's the Champions League final, man. Oh. So I think even for Liverpool too, what I'm trying to say is that they're trying to prove that wasn't just a fluke. And, you know, they've won the Champions League six, five, six times already now. But um, a lot of those times were, you know, pre-2010. So it's been a while since that last one, even though it was two years ago, I think they're trying to show, hey, we can do this consistently. We want to be recognized of one of the the top big clubs around the world now. 
So we'll see if they can do it. Excited for the second legs this coming week in Wednesday, Thursday. Shifting gears now to the NBA playoffs. So had a few more games since last episode. Um, Miami has gone through, has taken care of business against the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young. I think we all sort of saw that as the outcome of that series going into it. You know, Miami just having more of a complete team and having the clear size advantage over Atlanta. Um, And Atlanta having a few of their young core guys in John Collins and Clint Capella missing time, being injured. You know, it was really up to Trey Young and whether he could basically drop 40, drop 50 every game. And, you know, he has the talent to do so, but I think when that's required of you and you you go into a game going, damn, you know, our team's depleted, I'm the star player, I really have to step up and, and totally carry the rest of the team. And even if I do score 40 or 50, will we even still win? I think that's a big responsibility. That's a lot of pressure. Um, and Miami have been so good on defense this year and so consistent like they play very physical great defense um have so many great shooters so many attacking options from you know Jimmy Butler to Bam Adebayo Tyler Hero has been playing insane this year taking a massive leap forward um have a really deep bench um so I think that was always going to be tough for Atlanta but well done for them to making it this far. Like, you know, they had to play the playing games and win that to get in here. So it would have been a shame after being, you know, basically the Eastern Conference finalists last year for them not even to make the playoffs this year. So I think shout out to them for going on a bit of a run during the last 10, 15 games of the season, basically winning every every game to get in. Um but yeah, we knew the road was going to sort of end for them, especially, like I said before, when a lot of their team had some injury worries and they've been hit by the injury bug. So congrats to Miami to, for going through. Um, we know who they're going to play because I think I jinxed it in that first episode by saying, you know, Philadelphia and Toronto. Philadelphia had the 3-0 lead unless, you know... Philly wouldn't lose it, right? <laughs> Unless, oh, uh, wait, wait, no. In game six, though, Philly actually came out and took care of business at Toronto. I did not think that was going to happen. If you remember me saying, I was like, guaranteed, book your tickets to game seven. There's no way that Toronto is losing this in Toronto. They're definitely tying it up three all, but they lost. And it was crazy because... I was watching this game yesterday and, you know, Toronto came out and they they couldn't miss in the first quarter. They were hitting all their shots. Philly was playing terrible defense. And then at the end of the first quarter, Toronto was started missing all their shots. And then James Harden, for once, showed us, you know, put on his Houston Rockets jersey of past and started, you know, really attacking the basket, shooting some threes creating a lot of assists with his teammates. It was great to see. But then Toronto came back, and then at halftime, it's, you know, 60-all, basically. And then yesterday I had to do some teaching, so I was like, oh, there's no way, there's no shot, but I have to uh, pause this game here and I'll come back later. 
So went and taught a class, taught some physio stuff, and then um, came back. The game was over, and I was like, oh, okay, let's see. How much did Toronto win by? And my jaw hit the floor when I am typing into Google, you know, Philly Toronto, and the final score is Philly winning by 30 points. I was like wiping my eyes, having to pinch myself too, going, what? There's no way. The last time I saw Toronto, they were looking really good. They were hitting their shots. You know, that Bush Air kid, I don't know where he came out from, but he's like a Pascal Siakam Jr. and couldn't miss. He was playing so, so well. But then, uh, yeah, watching the second half highlights, Joel Embiid, Maxi, James Harden just went beast mode in the second half. And when that third quarter, I think Philadelphia scored almost 40 points and Toronto only had 20. So going into the fourth, they were down by 20. I think they knew then, wow, we are done for here. <laughs> um, crazy, crazy to see. Good to see too. You know, it would have been, man, I. you think of the counseling that would have had to happen for all those players and the coach and the coach's kids, like far out. The memes would have been intense. Oh, Man, it would have been a Twitter war online. Jeez. It's it's a shame that we were robbed of it, but it's also, I think, good for for the Philadelphia's mental health too because I think players would have retired. <laughs> you have to go into retirement if you lose a series uh, 4-3 and you are up 3-0. So, yeah, congrats to them for t- for taking care of business, especially on the road, I think. It's hard. Momentum is such a thing in sport, right? Where things are going well for you, it's easy for the ball to keep rolling. You just need to find a way to stop. You know, when a team's on a roll, you just have to stop it and then change the direction. And as soon as you have momentum on your side, that swing for Toronto, right? They were able to win two more games in a row. And going into this game, all the pressure's on Philly. So, again, massive kudos to them for being able to swing the momentum back on their side now and hopefully they can take that into the next game with the Miami Heat next up in the NBA we had Warriors versus Denver Nuggets Um, Warriors were able to take care of business in game 5 weren't able to get the clean sweep in game 4 they went they had you know a 3-0 lead but unlike you know well like the 76ers they kind of opened the door a bit to the Denver Nuggets, letting them win game four, so it was 3-1, but then were able to quickly quickly uh, slam the door back in Denver's face in game five and win that game. Interesting game five it was. Um, I don't know, you would have thought, well, you know, Steph Curry showed up and got his, you know, 30-piece McNugget, 30-point game, but uh, a really complete victory by the Golden State this game five where basically everybody on the team getting double digit points, creating a lot of assists, getting a lot of rebounds, uh, everybody that had time on the floor contributed. And I think that's a really scary side. I think the golden state, if, if it's just Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond green hurting you, just three players, they're still going to give you quite a match. You know, if they drop those Splash Brothers, drop 20, 30 points each, and Draymond has a lot of assists, 
that's tough, but you can try to just double team them as a defense. If I'm the opposition going, okay, let's try and take them out of the game, make someone else beat us, make Gary Porter Jr. or Gary Payton the second um, hit shots. Jordan Poole has to hit shots. Um, Wiggins has to contribute. He has to be a beast in the post. Kaminga has to contribute. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So Denver, shout out to their coach. Their defense was really well prepared and they were up in a lot of this game five. But the other guys, everyone that I was just saying, apart from the Splash Brothers there, you know, Kaminga, Wiggins, Gary Payton, the second, all hitting really timely shots and rebounding well and being productive if they're going to be on the floor. You know, you don't want guys out there who are just basically a jersey thrown on the floor, just being a ghost, being a shadow. You want them, you know, having to be marked, having to, having the opposition have to think about them, having to guard them, having to mark them. So really scary sight going forward if it's not just the usual company, the usual suspects for the Warriors, if everyone is, especially those young guys, if they're building their confidence, getting settled with the playoff environment, you know, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond, Andre Iguodala, Kevin Looney, they've all been there. All guys are on the team who have won championships, played a lot of playoff minutes. Everybody else, it's the first time. You know, Golden State hasn't been to the finals in three years since Kevin Durant um, and Clay Thompson both got injured against uh, Toronto. So, man, that's a scary sight if everybody's contributing, and it's just one of those things of pick your poison. Now, you know, do you want to do you want to try and lose the game, betting that Steph Curry's not going to hit threes? No way, wouldn't do that. But then that means you're let. Oh, my Apple Watch. <laughs> my Apple Watch wants to have a chat as well. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Let's turn that off. Um, yeah, pick your poison, right? Do you want to go down swinging or letting Steph Curry hit open shots from the car park? He's shown too, too many times he can do that. Or do you want to leave Kaminga, leave Peyton Jr., Peyton the second open, and let them have a free layup or a free three-pointer? They're showing now that they can hit him. So, yeah, really scary stuff. I just want to touch quickly on Devin, the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic in particular. He's, you know, been... He won the MVP last year. Is an MVP finalist again this year. They haven't given out that award yet. Um, you know, lots of people think it's between him and Embiid from the 76ers. You know, Jokic in this series against the Warriors played really well. You know, put up the same sort of stats that he has all year. You know, dropping 30 points, getting, you know, 15, 20 rebounds, getting 10, 15 assists, really contributing. But it just hasn't been enough. And it just shows you can't, I don't know. I don't think he could have played much better. I think that at least he can go home and, and sleep easy at night knowing I couldn't have done any more, right? And what can you? What more can you ask for? A guy's hitting, you know, 
30, 40% of his shots, getting more than 30 points. He's basically getting every rebound and still involving all of his teammates, you know, getting 10, 15 assists every game. Man, if you, I don't know, to do that in the playoffs as, as well, that's that's special and just a shame that that isn't enough to get his team over the line. And, you know, those two big injuries to their young stars of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., um, yeah, I think they'll be they'll be dangerous next year if they can get healthy, those two, and be more of a complete team and that team's... You know, the Warriors just tried to take Jokic out of the game, tried to double-team him and tried to, um, yeah, neutralize everyone else around him. So when there's more threats and bigger threats back on the field, I think that he'll get less attention and be even more able to create plays and get people open. Um, and that might be the difference, I think. So still positive signs if you're a Denver Nugget fan in the future. Just have to wait patiently on, on the health of those two young stars. Another matchup, a matchup I haven't talked about yet. I didn't talk about last episode. Um, but in the West, the number two team, Memphis, is playing... Uh, the number seven team, Minnesota Timberwolves, or Pav likes to call them, you know, Tiny Soda, Minnesota Tiny Soda Timberwolves, TT, Tiny Soda Timberwolves, I think that fits well. Um, man, that series has been crazy to watch. My days. Um, the Timberwolves, this series should be done, man. You know, they came out and played the perfect game one and really... You know, punch Memphis in the mouth, gave them a real surprise, something they weren't expecting, and played as a team. You know, Carl Anthony Towns for the Timberwolves, their star player, their star center, huge center, who's able to hit threes as well as just be an absolute menace in the paint as well. And very physical, can get his teammates involved. Great, great player. Um, so he went insane that first game and has been great to watch, but they have been throwing all my days. So in game two and game three, they were up on multiple occasions by, you know, 20, 25 points and they end up losing those games. Huge comebacks from Memphis, but you know, it's still impressive and shout out to them for coming back. Cause that takes mental resolve, mental fortitude, and a lot of perseverance, and yeah, that's respect, but it was the type of comeback where, you know, if you're up 20, 25 points in the third quarter and you lose the game, a lot of that has to do with your own stupidity. It's a lot of stupid plays, turnovers, um, bad matchups, poor marking, you know, even if they're scoring points, you you have to... Like, Memphis in the third, fourth quarter at some stages didn't score points for 10, 15 minutes without even getting to the foul line or getting a layup. Like, they were just shooting Steph Curry car park threes, <laughs> bad shots. And I get it, you're up 25 points, you want to sort of roll the red carpet out and cruise to victory... It's the playoffs. It's not the regular season. Like, 
this team is a good team. They're here in the playoffs for a reason. They're the number two seed for a reason. Put them away. So many teams get in trouble this time of year by not stepping on the throat of a team when they have them down. You have to have the killer instinct. And the Timberwolves, this series should be over. It should be 4-1. But actual, in actual fact, it's 3-2 Memphis's way. And Memphis, you know, Timberwolves should have won just recently the other day in the most recent game, in Game 5. Timberwolves were up a lot in that game. Memphis clawed their way back and hit the last-minute um, shot, like in the last second, to win the game. Man, and stupid defending. Like, from a timeout, the, there was only two, three seconds on the clock, and the uh, Timberwolves' defense is trying to get a steal instead of block a shot. You're up. You have the lead. You don't need to get a steal. Just contest the shot. Put your arms up. You know, kids in high school, they'd be better defenders <laughs> than this Timberwolves team. And it's reminding me, it's like a Utah-ass, Utah Jazz 2.0, basically. Sometimes I think Utah is playing for these Timberwolves sometimes. Man, crazy to watch. Unpredictable. It's basically, you know, it will go back to the Timberwolves home for a game six today. And basically the question is, you know, do the Timberwolves want to win? Do they have the killer instinct? Can they actually focus for the whole entirety of the game you know they can put a good quarter together or a good half but play with some consistency do it for the whole game be have that killer mindset want it more than memphis so that's intriguing the winner of that matchup memphis in tiny soda will play golden state so we'll see I th- it's looking like Memphis at the moment because I think they actually uh, can, pl- can play with their head screwed on at the moment. Uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see what happens. Okay, last thing with the NBA is we had the Pelicans versus Phoenix Suns. Phoenix were up three games to two. It's a game six. In New Orleans, so going to be a tough matchup. But we didn't find out until last minute. Devin Booker, their star player from the Phoenix, who got injured halfway through game two, pulling his hamstring, he's back. And Phoenix were able to get the job done away from home. They won the game, so they went up 4-2, to two, sealed the victory, and... Chris Paul. Chris Paul was the story of this game. He, People are calling him the point guard. He had 14 shots in the game, and all 14 went in. He did not miss a shot. 100% accuracy. My days. That hasn't been done like that. That's a record in the playoffs. Um, so very, very impressive to watch him shoot. Um with such great efficiency. Um, When he's on, that team can't lose. Um, And I think having Devin Booker back today really helped Chris Paul because when he was out, the Pelicans could just really 
isolate and lock into Chris Paul and double him and, you know, Jose Alvarado, the young kid from the Pelicans, has been able to do such a great job at basically being like a little angry chihuahua in his face, you know, barking at him, holding him down, really physical, um, getting his hands on him, tiring him out the whole game and, you know, getting steals or forcing turnovers. Um, it's been great to watch, but with Devin Booker back, they're having to, that, that spreads the floor. You know, Devin Booker is such a threat. And even though he didn't go off for his usual sort of 25, 30 points, he, he had 13 only, but at the end of that game, in the last two minutes, he hit the big three that kind of sealed the victory. So great to see Devin Booker out there. I think that he'll slowly, you know, readjust, get back to um, being a starter, like won't have a minute restriction in the next series and just play even better, you know, get back into the rhythm of things and he'll, yeah, the, those Phoenix Suns there, they're a real scary matchup for anyone that they play. You know, it's not all doom and gloom, you know. Losing in the first round is is usually a bit of a disappointment, but this team did not really have big expectations coming into the year. You know, their star player, their number one draft picked a, a few years ago, Zion Williamson, has been injured so much and didn't play at all this year. Um, they made a big trade for... CJ McCollum, and that has really paid massive dividends, able to push them into the playoffs. They won their play-in games against the Clippers um, and San Antonio, able to really push Phoenix in this series. I don't think anyone, if you ask them, would they, would this game, would this series go to a game six? I think so many people would have bet against that. So credit to the Pelicans. Brandon Ingram is really showing and proving himself to be a rising star. CJ McCollum is being is showing that he's a great um, sort of number two, a great sort of supporter for Brandon Ingram and can pick up the slack if he's not having the biggest game. Um, all just depends if they can get Zion Williamson healthy. You know, he's a he's their big, and he's gotten a little bit big lately. Like there's all the memes about him. Um, you know, him and Charles Barkley being, basically being the same size, you know, him just sitting at home, eating, gorging himself like a like fat bastard or something from, um, what's that show? Oh, I can't remember. The Spy, the Spy one. Oh, anyway, it'll come to me. <laughs> um you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that one, the spy who shagged me, that that one. Anyway, Zion Williamson. <laughs> There's all the memes that he's this uh he's let himself go. So I think um they need to get him back in shape. They need to find a way, that need to find a good physio for him. Fly me out. Fly me out, Pelicans. I'll be the physio. Um Yeah. They're his contract is coming up soon as well. So I don't know. That's going to be a tricky one to give him $200 million to, to stay a Pelican. Um, I'm sure there'll be some side clauses in that contract to be, okay, we're going to pay you this, but you need to have, you need to be a certain weight or you need to be in the gym a certain amount of days or 
this contract goes void if you get injured too many times or, you know, you need to have a personal chef. Fly me out. I'll be the, the physio and the personal chef for Zion Williamson. I'll sign up for that. I'll be part of that 200 million contract. Yeah. So Brendan Ingram, CJ McCollum, possibly Zion Williamson. And we've seen, you know, they've got some great young pieces. Jose Alvarado, great defender. Um, Jackson Hayes, um, Murphy Jr., great young pieces. I think this is a, you know, this team's on the rise and looking up. I think they can push even higher up the playoff ladder next year. It's the I've I've worked it out now. It's uh, Austin Powers that um that character fat bastard from Austin Powers. P- lots of people comparing that Zion Williamson to him. <laughs> I'm glad I can remember it. <laughs> it would have bugged me. Um, anyway, the next thing we're moving on from NBA and going to go to the NFL draft, and that was yesterday. So, yeah, massive event for the NFL, and you know I was kind of downplaying it. I was taking out of the hype of the NFL draft because it wasn't as exciting and, you know, quarterbacks are the star power. They're the drivers of the league. And when you don't have a, a lot of big quarterback prospects coming out, um, you know, that's, yeah, that, that affects things. That kind of puts things in the tank. But, um, you know, it turns out that I jinxed it again, just like the 76ers and Toronto. Uh, it was a crazy draft yesterday. A lot of trades, a lot of good, interesting trades happening. Um, so we'll go through that. But um, I should have made a prediction. But you, you know, you won't believe me, but I should have made a prediction last episode who I thought would have been the number one pick in the NFL draft. And then I would have, I, I truly would have said Trayvon Walker. Um, there was a lot of it was between, you know, a lot of people had it between. Aiden Hutchinson's the edge rusher from Michigan or, you know, the edge from Georgia, Trayvon Walker. And from what I'd heard from lots of analysts and and scouts, it seemed like Aiden Hutchinson was the sort of safer pick. Like you knew what you were getting, but, you know, he had quite a high baseline, a high floor, but people didn't know how much potential sort of he he had and could he be, you know, an Aaron Donald or Javion Clown, Clowney sort of type of player. Um, they didn't really think so. Um, but Trayvon Walker, he's a bit more, got a few more unknowns, but I, I, I don't know. There's been a bit of criticism about him. He played for Georgia. That team won the national championship and he was a massive part of that. And... He's shown that he can rush from in between the tackles, like in the middle, to sack the quarterback, or he can really bend the edge and be quick. Um, you know, his forty time, his forty yard dash time for a pass rusher was insane. I think it was like four six or four seven. That's that's faster than some wide receivers. So this guy is big, huge, like broad shoulders over 200 pounds, but can really sprint and move, accelerate, bend his hips. And if I'm the quarterback and he, I see him lining up next to me across the side of the field, man, I am (laughs) shivering in my boots a little bit. So I think hopefully for Jacksonville, he can really 
contribute and, and turn that franchise around. Um, Aiden Hutchinson, we didn't have to wait long for his number to be called. He was the number two pick going to Detroit. A nice story with this one, he has played in Detroit, Michigan, his whole entire life. Like he played his, you know, middle school, high school for um, a high school in that sort of Detroit, Michigan area, then goes on to, and he accepts an offer for D1 uh, sports scholarship at Michigan University, historic franchise, a lot of history, and a great team. They were um, semifinalists this year in the college football playoffs and then ends up staying in his home city and gets drafted by Detroit. And I think that's a, you know, a little fact that a lot of people downplay when they get professionals in the NFL and get picked by teams. I think it is a big adjustment for a lot of teams, for a lot of players in that first two years moving away. And I know a lot of players move for college, but I think it's a, it takes that next step in the NFL and can be really tough, um, you know, playing all over the country and moving away from home and just is such a cutthroat industry. You know, at college, it's really like a family type of vibe. Like you do everything with your team. You're basically sleeping on the training field. NFL is a little bit more different. It's a little bit everybody for themselves. I'm not saying that there aren't friendships and that sort of stuff, but they really look out for you more and hold your hand a little bit more at college, um, in that college system. Whereas in the NFL, it's a bit more, yeah, cutthroat and you're on your own. So I think it's a massive advantage for him, um, to stay in a city and place that he's comfortable in. But then you can make the argument too, that, you know, people grow when they're pushed outside of their comfort zone and have to do new things. So we'll see, we'll see how he goes at Michigan and, See if he thrives and the familiarity is good for him or it sort of holds him back. Next few picks in the draft were some really good cornerbacks in Houston Texans taking uh, Derek Stingley Jr. He was an awesome cornerback um, covering receivers at LSU. And then we had Sauce Gardner um, for from Cincinnati going to New York Jets. And there was a funny moment in the draft. His name gets called and, you know, no one wants to hear their name get called by the New York Jets at the moment. They are so abysmal, so bad. Their ownership is so bad. Their GM is so bad. <laughs> um, Robert Sala, their coach, um, respect. But uh, I think he's a little bit young. He's got great defensive philosophies, but I just think that he's in a in an in an impossible situation, a situation where you can't really succeed. And it's going to take a lot more first-round picks from the Jets to to rebuild this franchise. But, you know, this is a good start. I think he's a really good cornerback. He can cover wide receivers really well. He's really quick, agile, um, you know, tall, great wingspan, great hands. I think that he'll get a lot of interceptions. The next pick, um, New York Giants with pick number five, choosing Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon. Quite controversial pass rusher. A lot of people, you know, undecided whether he's, you know, should be like the number one pick or 
is he not even a top 10 sort of guy? I think a lot of people question his, you know, his mental toughness and if he truly likes playing football. You know, Alabama, the number one college in NFL, most winningest franchise um, in college football with Nick Saban, offered him a scholarship out of high school, but he didn't take it. And because he was scared of the competition, he thought he wouldn't be the number one player, wouldn't get enough game time, didn't really want, like, had some questions about his work ethic and, you know, wanted the Nike sponsorship with Oregon and just wanted the easier path. And those are some sort of red, those are some red and yellow flags to be concerned about. So I lean more on the, I don't know how good this guy's going to be. And, you know, the people that have the most success in NFL, in pro sports, love it and love it to their core. They, yeah, they truly want to be there. And it's not a financial thing. It's not a doing it for someone else. It's I'm doing it for myself and there's nothing I'd rather do. I couldn't do anything but this. Um, so he's going to be, I'm going to watch him closely and, you know, again, no, he's going to another New York team, uh, New York giants. They haven't been doing so well at the moment. They need a lot of work. Basically no one's a star player on that team. So, uh, it's, uh, he got what he asked for, I guess. Like he's going to get, he's going to a lot of playing time and, a lot of spotlight on him in New York, and he's going to be in the spotlight of the New York media. So if you play well in New York, you get that light shone on you, and it's a very uh, good thing. But if you play well, if you play just poor or even average, that media there in New York, they will rip into you <laughs> in, a, in not even a second's notice. So yeah, well, let's, let's see how that one goes. Uh, next few picks, the Panthers picking um, an offensive tackle, then New York having another f- top 10 pick, and really smart pick. they picking the offensive tackle from Alabama, Evan Neal. Great, um, yeah, great tackle. He really kept Bryce Young and Mac Jones, previous Alabama quarterbacks, basically made sure that they didn't have any mud or dirt on their shirt and all the mud and dirt was on his shirt, you know, stopping great pass rushers like Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, um, Kalon Thibodeau from sacking the quarterback. He is really, really good at protecting the quarterback, this guy, Evan Neal. So great pick, really like it. Next one was quite a bit of a surprise. Uh, Drake London the wide receiver from USC going number eight to Atlanta Falcons and being more so I was surprised that he was the first wide receiver off the board, the first wide receiver taken. Um, you know, he's not very fast, had a really bad ankle injury this last year. He had surgery on it. Seems like it's okay. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how he goes, but isn't really like a good route runner. Like he isn't super agile, doesn't sort of like do the the NRL rugby union like steps and, you know, breaking people's ankles. He breaks his own ankles. <laughs> um, he's more of like a 
DK Metcalf where just runs, you know, big physical receiver, big bloke, running straight at people, running through people, like get out of my way and can make a lot of contested catches. So, uh, you know, really interesting. I would have thought with Marcus Mariota being the quarterback, it seems like at Atlanta, and I'm really excited to see how he goes. I don't know if that's the type of receiver that he would want. I would want more of a, you know, who the Jets and uh, Detroit later draft, or even the Saints, you know, Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or Jameson Williams, a bit shorter, but more agile and just like a young Tyreek Hill can just, or like a Usain Bolt, just huge burst of speed, so can quickly accelerate, just get open, get open really, really quickly rather than struggle to get open and you're having to throw, you know, Hail Marys up to this young rookie and just say, you know, it's either you're catching it and it's a great play or it's an interception. Um, so I don't really like that. And, I, well, I I would prefer uh, a more Tyreek Hill type of wide receiver than a DK Metcalf um, type of wide receiver sort of go up and get contested catches. But we'll see. I'm happy to be proven wrong and I'm, I'm excited to see how he goes. I saw that um, Drake, the... Toronto rapper put a massive bet, put a hundred grand on his guy, uh, Drake London. I think he likes him because he has the same name to be put a hundred thousand dollar bet that he would be the first wide receiver taken. And of course, whenever Drake makes a bet, he gets it. <laughs> um, it goes well, you know, in the Super Bowl, he made a million dollar bet. I'm pretty sure that OBJ, Odell, Odell Buckham Jr. would, get the first touchdown, I think, or get a touchdown any time. And that came true as well. So crazy. <laughs> I guess, you know, when you have Drake money, you know, he wouldn't shed a tear about He wouldn't even blink an eye if he didn't win that bet. But um, that's jokes. Anyway, with the next pick, pick number nine, Seattle Seahawks choose an offensive tackle. I think that's a great move. It's it's kind of jokes because they got rid of Russell Wilson this year in the off season. And for the last couple of years, Russell Wilson's has been crying and sort of been, you know, out on the parliament steps outside of Seattle going, I'm getting sacked too much. I need help. I need offensive tackles. Invest in the offensive line. Keep me clean. Keep me on my feet, please. And the owner and the GM, the coach have been like, uh, not so much. Nah, no, thank you. No worries. We can let's get a defender, or let's get a wide receiver, or let's not get an offensive tackle. And it's so funny because they traded him away. They don't need to worry about that. And as soon as Russell's gone, it's like another sort of spit in the eye or kicking dirt, kicking dirt in the eye, going, Oh yeah, now we'll invest in the offensive line. That's what Russell wanted, right? <laughs> um it's funny because yeah, they don't really have a quarterback there, so we go and see what's going to happen with Seattle, but I like that move. I think, yeah, my philosophy in the draft is invest in the trenches, invest in the offensive line or the defensive line, and usually that does good things. That like you can get really high level skill 
position players, like people like wide receivers, cornerbacks, linebackers, um, in later rounds, in the second round, in the third round. But there's just way less quality of offensive tackles, centers, pass rushes, you know, like edges or tackles um, in those later rounds because they just aren't as many of them. So they get picked higher up. So, yeah, I like that philosophy. Um, That's a good pick by Seattle. The next few picks we had, pick number 10, 11, and 12, we had three wide receivers taken, and that's the more so of the speed and agile sort of guys. You know, I'd describe each of these guys as more sort of like road runners from that Looney Tunes cartoon. Um, you know, these guys are so fast and get open in a blink of an eye, get open at the line of scrimmage basically, can hit you with a step or just with their speed and they're already five, ten yards past you. So um, great picks. I think Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, he was the first speed wide receiver taken by the Jets. I think that's a great pick. They have a young quarterback in Zach Wilson who needs all the help he can get right now. Then the Saints took you know the other wide receiver from Ohio State, Chris Olave. He, he would have been my number one wide receiver, you know, watching him play, man, I think he's the fastest and the best route runner of all the wide receivers. So, you know, every time Ohio State played, he would get two, three touchdowns. He'd have himself a day. So he knows he'll, yeah, he'll get open in the NFL. He knows how to, how to do that. That usually translates pretty well. And then the Lions, the Lions traded back up. They traded their, they had a 32 like the 32nd pick in the first round, um, courtesy of the Rams, swapping that for Matt Stafford, lol. Um, they traded the, that pick to the Vikings to trade back up, and that would have made Jared Goff, the Lions quarterback, so nervous going, please don't pick a quarterback, please don't pick a quarterback. <laughs> um, but they didn't. They got him some help. And that's great to see they're investing in Jared Goff, who, you know, Super Bowl finalist, still a young guy, young kid, still got a lot of potential, giving him another weapon in Jameson Williams, the wide receiver from Alabama. So great pick with that. I think that he'll be a great addition to that Lions team, along with Aiden Hutchinson. Philadelphia Eagles um, had the next pick, pick 13. They had... Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from Georgia, another great player, similar to Trayvon Walker, um, was a real integral piece and part of them winning the championship this year, had a lot of sacks, a lot of pressures, um, a lot of tackles, so he is a great pass rusher and great addition for the Eagles. Next pick was Baltimore with... Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. He's a really smart young safety. He kind of fell, like a lot of people thought he might be in the top 5 to 10, but then he ran a really slow 40-yard dash time. And I've been told by a few analysts and scouts from what I've seen is that 
even like running a 40 yard dash, running a fast 40. So running 40 meters or 40 yards under 4.4 seconds. It's kind of like the sexy stat and, you know, GMs and coaches eyes light up wide. if You're really fast. And we know that it's not usually something that translates all the time to the NFL, but in the draft, people can overlook things or make too much of the 40 time. So he ran really slow. He ran like a four, six, four, seven time. And people were like, damn, he's slow. <laughs> I don't want him. Um, so I think Baltimore got a real catch in this guy. He's a really good, intelligent, young safety. And I think we'll have a big impact. Texans with the next pick, pick 15, um, t- uh, drafting an offensive guard in Kenyon Green um, from Texas A&M. Yeah, he's a great player. Washington, picking up at 16 after that, taking another wide receiver, Jahan Dotson from Penn State. I didn't really watch much of this guy, and he was a bit of a surprise. I thought he would go later, maybe in the second or third round. So I think it seems like a little bit of a reach, and like I was talking about last episode with the, you know, you don't want to buy a house for a million dollars when it's really worth 500,000, you get in trouble with those type of moves. And I think this move couples with the desperation of going out and trading for Carson Wentz. I, I don't like that move. And, you know, they're trying to get him more weapons, but this is not the way to do it. I think go and it would have been nicer to go and get him a speedier wide receivers that were just taken before and try to trade up to get one of them. So We'll have to see. Maybe this Jahan Dotson will prove me wrong. Chargers. Chargers always making smart first-round draft picks in another offensive guard like last year. They're getting Zion Johnson from Boston College, and he is a big, strong guy Yeah, out of Boston College, can really protect the quarterback, and such a smart pick. Um, Titans. Traylon Burks, wide receiver from Arkansas. Yeah, to be honest, haven't seen much of him, but it makes sense with them wanting to pick a wide receiver after they did that big trade with the Eagles yesterday on draft day, giving up A.J. Brown to the Eagles. My goodness. He, apart from Derrick Henry, I think A.J. Brown would have been the second best player on that team. So such a shame to really give a big piece away and... You know, you're getting back a unproven rookie. This AJ, AJ Brown has been really, really productive for the Titans over the last few years. Um, had a couple 1,000-yard receive, rece- um, yeah, 1,000 receiving yard seasons. Um, had like more than 10 touchdowns. Really, really productive player. Um, I think a foolish trade with Philadelphia, and such a steal for Philadelphia. You know, they get a great. Uh, defensive tackle in Jordan Davies with pick 13 and they're getting AJ Brown um, and Titans are only getting back this young rookie wide receiver trailer Burks man are Titans trying to tank or something I like if I'm if I'm Derek Henry it's like oh damn <laughs> you know I already carry the ball you know a million times to this team looks like it's going up to two million I'm gonna have to put the Titans in my backpack for the whole year my days yeah, that's that's rough. 
Anyway, moving on. Saints picking a wide receiver earlier on in Chris Olave, then again now in pick 19. Another really smart pick in offensive tackle from Northern Iowa, Trevor Painting. Um, yeah, great pick. I, I love seeing teams invest in the offensive uh, line, offensive tackle. I think that's exactly what Jamison Winston, their young quarterback, needs. You know, had a really rough leg injury last year from um, not having the best offensive guards, offensive line. So, yeah, great to see that they're learning their lesson and trying to invest around him. Then we had the first quarterback picked in this draft by Pittsburgh Steelers. So Kenny Pickett, quarterback from Pittsburgh, staying in Pittsburgh, similar to Agent Hutchinson, staying in Detroit. Um, Interesting move, you know. Pittsburgh have a few quarterbacks on the roster. They have Mitch Trubisky, who just they just signed for from Chicago and Buffalo. They have Mason Rudolph, the guy who got bopped on the head by Miles Garrick with the helmet. Um, now they have Kenny Pickett. So I don't know. Interesting move. I, it would have been nice to. I don't understand trading for Mitch Trubisky. And then Siri, this that's the second time now. <laughs> Siri wants to get in on the podcast. My days. Um, Long. There we go. Let's put that there. So yeah, Kenny Pickett. A lot of people compare him to Kirk Cousins. You know, moderate, moderately athletic, moderately accurate high sort of baseline, high floor, not the highest ceiling, like he's not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray. He's not super athletic. He's not super tall. He's not going to run over people, not the most accurate. He's sort of a a good enough and has all the fundamentals, kind of like a Mac Jones, basically. So we'll see if he can similarly sort of carry Pittsburgh along with sort of good to average quarterback play. Try not to turn the ball over too much. Not as many interceptions. Um, yeah, Pittsburgh's in a tough spot, you know. With having Big Ben for so long, they're just in this purgatory state where they're not bad enough to get in the top 10 picks. You know, they're not a Jacksonville. They're not New York Jets. But they're not a real playoff threat like the Chiefs or the LA Rams, you know. They're not attracting these big star players to come and play for them, but they're not bad enough to get the best young college players. So they're in this purgatory state, doomed to sort of repeat the same season uh, to the end of time. So, yeah, we'll see how Kenny Pickett does. Then it was Kansas City with the 21st pick. Um, They're picking a young quarterback with Trent McDuffie. That was a big weakness with Kansas City last year. They got burnt a lot in coverage on their defense by other teams' wide receivers and, yeah, could have done better with their defense last year. So I think that's a great move. Green Bay Packers were next. Pick 22, and you would thought, I bet Aaron Rodgers at home was watching this pick eagerly, wide-eyed, ready to storm into the front office if he was pissed off and didn't like the pick. 
And guess what? I bet he tore up the Green Bay Packers front office. After the offseason, giving away their star wide receiver in Devontae Adams, uh, you would have thought they need to pick a wide receiver in the first round and maybe even trade up for one. They didn't trade up and they didn't take an offensive player. They took Quay, uh, Quay Walker, the linebacker from Georgia. You know, Georgia winning the national championship. This guy, again, similar to all the Georgia players, was a really good team and really helped contribute to, made a lot of tackles and covered guys well and was really physical. But it's just not what Green Bay needs. Green Bay needs offense. And, uh, you know, we'll get to it. You know, Green Bay had a pick later on, pick 28. They still didn't take a, an offensive player. They stuck with the Georgia college and took a defensive tackle in Devontae Watt. So uh, I think Aaron Rodgers is going apeshit right now at home, and uh, maybe he requests a trade in the next few days because oh, it's looking really, really poor for them. And if I'm in, if I'm in that division, especially the Vikings, I'm licking my lips. I'm going, we might have a chance this year. We just need to, you know, take care of business, beat the poor poor Lions who are just abysmal and beat up on Chicago Bears and just win one or two games against Green Bay can steal that division. It's in their hands. Buffalo Bills were next, pick 23. Um, Shoring up their defense a bit more with a a young quarterback, Kai Alam. Then it was Weedem Boys with the Cowboys, picking Tyler Smith, offensive tackle from Tulsa. This guy I really like. Small school, had a huge impact though. They were able to go on a bit of a run this college season and exactly what Dallas needed. They've had a few injuries and shock sort of retirements in their offensive line, so really important to bolster that again. Baltimore had another pick next in this first round draft and another smart pick by them, picking a, you know, doing the same as Dallas, Shoring up their offensive line with a young center in Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa. Iowa, one of those Midwest college teams that is just known for producing the best offensive line um, talents. So, great pick there. Jets, another Jets pick. They had three first-round picks. Um, I like the strategy. You know, Earlier on, they picked Sauce Gardner, a young quarterback. Then they picked... Garrett Wilson, speedy wide receiver, and now they're picking an edge pass rusher, Jermaine Johnson II from Florida State. So I think that's trying to address a a bit of everything. I like it. Jags having another pick, pick 27. Jags earlier on. Yeah, Jags had a really atrocious defense last year. Similar to the, the Jets, they're picking another defensive player, a linebacker from Utah, Devin Lloyd. So I really like that. That's really was a big hole for them last year. And they just traded Miles Jack, you know, a month ago or so. I don't understand that trade, but if they're going to trade him away, who was a linebacker, they need to fill that hole. You know, at least they're smarter than Green Bay, right? You know, we trade our best, best uh, wide receiver away. Why don't we get a wide receiver? Um, Nope. Green Bay don't think like that, but at least the Jags, they're going, we trade away our best linebacker. Let's at least fill that hole. Um, We talked about Green Bay, which was the next pick already. 
Patriots. Bill Belichick and his dog sitting at home making the picks. Uh, they picked Cole Strange, and it was a strange pick. Uh, he's an offensive guard from Chattanooga. My days. I've never heard of that school <laughs> before. But um, it was so funny. I think all you need to know is that the Rams, you know, with who had the mindset, the LA Rams, F them picks, screw them picks. They were like, they don't have a pick in the first or second round, but they have a pick tomorrow in the third round. And they they were on live TV. The head coach was getting interviewed. And then they get the report, oh, the Patriots have picked Cole Strange in the first round, pick number 25. And they're going, what? Damn, we wasted our time scouting him because we thought he was a third, fourth round player uh, instead of a first round. So Bill Belichick... Doing a similar thing, reaching, buying the house for a million when it's only worth 500000 at the moment. But I don't know. If there's one coach or GM you don't want to question, it's it's Bill Belichick. So we'll see. Maybe he he and the dog. The dog knows all, I think. you got to trust in the dog. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about there, a couple of years ago, the COVID draft, Bill Belichick took it as seriously as he could and basically let let his dog draft the picks. He he put him in the chair in front of the laptop and the dog is making all the selections. So, yeah, goat. What an absolute goat. Kansas City, next pick, pick number 30. Again, trying to shore up their defense again with a young edge rusher from Purdue in George Kalaftis. Um, yeah, he's a great player. I think, again, their defense really needed some work. And, you know, Mahomes and the offense can do everything. I trust in that, but get him, get him the ball back. You need to have the ball in his hands as much as possible. And that means having a really good defense that can get the ball back to him. So I like the strategy of investing in defense. Last two picks were from Cincinnati Bengals getting a safety, Daxton Hill, and the Vikings picking another safety from Georgia. Lewis Sign. Again, both those teams needing a lot of help. Their weaknesses last year were defense, so I think good picks in investing in young safeties. And that wraps up the first round. So crazy, uh, crazy draft. Oh, there was one other trade that I didn't talk about. It was um, Baltimore getting that 25th pick, and they got it because they traded... Their young receiver, Hollywood Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, to Arizona Cardinals. And Kyler Murray is ecstatic about that. He has a really good relationship with Hollywood Brown. And Lamar Jackson took to Twitter and was in pain and and just posted WTF, what's going on? Uh, Didn't understand it at all. He was like the Ravens' number one wide receiver. So strange move to give him up. But the Cardinals lost a wide receiver a few months back in Christian Kirk to the Jaguars. So I think, again, more teams just proving they're smarter than Green Bay and, you know, replenishing a need when it goes away, when they give it up. So good move. Good move by the Cardinals and trying to keep Kyle Murray happy. And I think that having some chemistry with your players as you bring them in is really going to matter down the stretch and was costly for Arizona last year. So... I hope they can get on the same page quickly, and I think that'll be a great duo.
the podcast. This episode's been a, a long one already, so good to go through that first round of the draft and all the NBA stuff. I do want to go through all the biggest NFL off-season moves that have happened so far, because quite a few things, a lot of trades have happened already previous to the draft, but I might leave that till next episode, and we can get into just finishing off this episode with a few questions that I've had in the last day or two. Um, so first one's from Jake, so thanks for reaching out. Um, which player has impressed you most so far this NBA playoffs? I'd have to say, even though they lost, there's a young player, I think I mentioned him already, from the Pelicans, Jose Alvarado. Young 21-year-old guy, and just plays like it's his last game ever. Like, puts all his passion, his heart and soul into every match, and... He's been tasked with guarding Chris Paul, the point guard, you know, old man, Chris Paul, CP3 for the uh, Phoenix Suns, and has done an incredible job with it. I think if you said at the start of the series, you know, Jose Alvarado is going to guard Chris Paul, people would have laughed out loud and said that's a joke and Chris Paul's going to get 30, 40 every night. But like I said before, this guy has been like a an angry guard dog just barking at him and making his life so difficult. And I think he's one of the main reasons that this game, this series did go six games. He's defended and shut down Chris Paul, made his life hard, made each game hard for him. Um, yeah, wearing him down, breaking him down, forcing turnovers, like forcing the eight-second violation. Like, if you don't know in the NBA... As you get the ball, if your team has the ball, you have to bring the ball past halfway within eight seconds. And it's like a rule to make sure that games are basically entertaining. Like you don't have one team just dribbling it out, doggy guarding it in their own court for all the game um, or all of the 24 seconds. Like you have to move the ball forwards. But this uh, Jose Alvarado kid, he has been able to force turnovers like he's guarding and marking Chris Paul full court and forcing turnovers forcing these eight second violations forcing steals forcing poor passes getting the crowd into it um I love to see that that's been so exciting next question from Isaac what are your predictions for the next round of the NBA matchups. So not all of them are set yet, but enough of them are. So in the East, we're going to have number one seed Miami Heat playing Philadelphia 76ers. I think Miami are just too consistent. You just know what you're going to get from Miami. You know, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets, he plays the same every night. He's going to give you 20-30. Bam out of bio can attack in the paint and can play defense against anybody. Tyler Hero, he's going to give you 15, 20 and a lot of assists. Is a great three-point shooter on the outside. Um, great adjunct to those star players as well. Duncan Robinson. They just have a complete team and their bench is just more reliable. And in particular, you just don't know what you're going to get from James Harden on the 76ers. And I think that he has to play every game for the rest of these playoffs like he did this most recent one against Toronto. 
He has to come out with intent to be aggressive and needs to score 25, 30 points and get 10 assists every game involving his teammates. He has to be a threat. If it's just Joel Embiid, we know what Joel Embiid's going to do. He's going to get 25, 30 points, but if it's just a one-man team, Miami, you know, easy, probably win that series in five, six games. So that's what I think with that one. What's the other one? Boston Celtics, the number two team, will play Milwaukee Bucks, number three. That series, man, Boston looks so impressive against the Nets. Such good defense. Jason Tatum is becoming a superstar on both ends of the floor, like taking good shots, can score from anywhere, but then can also, is comfortable marking anyone, you know, bigs, tall players or shooting guards that are smaller. Really, really impressive. And he's only 24 years old. It's crazy. Um, I think that series comes down to, with the Bucks, is Chris Middleton healthy? So far, I think he's still getting over that injury. So if it's just Giannis, again, it's it's like the 76ers Miami. Celtics have more of a complete team and have been really, really consistent these last six months. So I like the Celtics in that one. But really, I think whoever wins that game is going to play in the finals. Doesn't like If the Celtics come through... I think they're beating Miami. If the Bucks come through, I think they're beating Miami. Or even if the 70, 76ers are definitely losing to whoever comes out of that matchup. But I think too, I think Miami's going to lose to whoever comes out of that matchup too. Then on the other side, we'll have Memphis. Oh, maybe not Memphis. We'll see. It's still Memphis versus the Timberwolves. The winner of that will play the Warriors. I think the Warriors just have too much experience for whoever comes out of that side. Again, more of a complete team. Just have that championship DNA with the Splash Brothers and Draymond Green. Then we have Phoenix Suns, who will play the Dallas Mavericks. Again, I think I think Dallas is too much of a one-man team. I think Luka Doncic won't have enough to deal with the complete nature of Phoenix and just how many ways that they can beat you. So I think that on the West, it's going to come down to similarly a matchup between the Phoenix Suns versus Golden State. So I'm really, I hope that, I hope that we get to see that as that I'm sure that will go seven games. Alrighty. I think we might leave it there for this episode two um thank you for tuning in we've talked about champions league nba playoffs so far the nba nfl draft the first round a bit of a q a next episode i'm thinking of doing getting parv on for a segment seeing her thoughts about everything that's going on and uh, a few more questions. Keep writing in. It's been great to uh, have some people listen so far and interact with it. So I really appreciate it. And um, I'll see you next time. Bye.